This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where each week we review the stories that made the market and business headlines with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And it was another dramatic week. The eyes to the right, 202. The nose to the left, 432. The results of tonight's vote is the greatest defeat for a government since the 1920s in this House. I have now tabled a motion of no confidence in this government. The eyes to the right, 306. The nose to the left, 325. Order, Mr Speaker, I'm pleased that this House has expressed its confidence in the government tonight. And it's a very good afternoon to Craig. How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm glad this week's over, to be quite honest with you. Aren't we all? We're also joined this week, I'm pleased to say, by Jazz FM Business Breakfast presenter Nick Howard. Don't you work hard enough already? I just can't get enough of talking about the news. And talking about you-know-what, of course, (laughs) which... uh, I think uh, Craig and I, when we have these discussions, we try and leave Brexit maybe to the end, but it's unavoidable. And I was looking at the front cover of uh, this week's Economist magazine, guys. It says, the mother of all messes. Is that a fair appraisal of the situation? I think that's an evergreen front cover. We could use that every week. Really? We're saving on the printing costs. I'm even more confused now, but Craig, you, you, you were saying off air that you're pleased that we've got... We've got the sort of vote of no confidence out of the way. Uh, we've got the uh, vote on Mrs May's deal out of the way. But um, I'm not quite as optimistic as that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm exhausted after this week. It really has mm. been such a long week. But it does actually feel like for the first time in two and a half years, it's got a little bit interesting. Uh, we are seeing this kind of... This, 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 these scenes in Parliament, we've had a Parliament selfie because apparently that's not allowed to be cool anymore, so uh, it's been ruined. Um, we've had, uh, it, it seems like what we're talking about in the news now, the, the votes that we're having, yes, we're not pushing, moving towards a deal that is actually palatable. But what we are finally doing is we are actually making progress in another way, in that we've gone from X amount of options on the table now to X minus two options on the table because we've had the vote of no confidence and I know we can have more, but I think something has to change before it will be okay for the opposition to call another vote. But isn't the problem with this that this is just waiting the clock out, that there were always going to be just two options, probably towards the very end of the timescale, whatever happened, which was either we crash out or we come up with a deal and none of what we've seen in the last week has actually changed that it's not changed it but people have set out their posts a little bit more significantly this week I think and I do think a lot of politics is being played and that's in one way at least it's interesting but in another way it's frustrating Um, so obviously this week Theresa May's been forced to reach out to the other parties so reluctantly but so planned Uh, this is something that she's been preparing for months for Um, I I really do think this is just a massive game of chess at this stage everyone's got their moves planned six seven uh, steps ahead and even to the point that in Parliament, Theresa May didn't even let Jeremy Corbyn have his no-confidence vote moment. She beat him to it and said, come on, call me out on a vote no-confidence. He's like, you've ruined it for me. Um, he, he didn't have the greatest week, really, did he? 
No, but I mean, I don't think any of them have really. Yeah. I mean, you've got one. You've got the prime minister who suffered the biggest ever defeat in parliament. You've got the opposition leader who has people are who making still a... managed to lose the initiative to her, even with that in mind. Uh, and he got called out by I think it was Anna, Anna Salbury saying, "You keep talking about a no confidence vote in another election, but even with everything that's going on, you're six points behind in the polls." Mm. I mean. I don't even think another election is really what he was after. He did what Jacob Rees-Mogg and his clan did. He did what Theresa May did. They called a vote they knew they were going to lose, but it was something that just had to get out of the way. It was the it was the monkey off the back almost. There's no way. No, he I was think going I think he I think vote. he wants another election oh, because because the but chaos. There was, there was never going to be a chance that Conservatives and the DUP any would cross the no, uh, no. Uh, cross the the Commons to actually vote with him. So, so they, it was never a vote that he was going to win, and that's the point. But he knows that this is a process. He set out at his party conference. We need here's our steps going forward. And very grudgingly. Oh, yeah. very grudgingly. Uh, getting to the point where he's like, and if we do this, where we explore all other options, then second referendums on the table. Well, the party membership wants a second referendum uh, in in a large majority, and he may be reluctant to do that. But it means that he has to tick all of these boxes in order for that to become an option on the table and that's what he's doing with this kind of vote here's the thing then so monday we're supposed to be getting a new deal after all of the um cross-party talks with theresa may and the other uh, leaders is there anything that they can actually bring out in just a few days that is going to be any different no because no deals on the table and it can't be removed from the table if you remove no deal from the table it is left. the table it is the table exactly <laughs> I, that, that, I love that line because it's so so true uh, it's if you take that off the table if you remove the table then the options that are left are Theresa May's Brexit which the EU is perfectly happy with in its current form particularly with the backstop which the MPs in Parliament hate mm-hmm. and many people in the UK we should say hate as well then there's the second referendum option, which they like even more than that because it leaves the possibility of remain. Yeah. So withdrawing Article 50, which is like the unicorn moment for the EU, which is, yes, it's been a waste of two years, but they, they remain. And and then it's no deal. So like you, they're the only realistic option. Oh, you could throw in Norway plus there, but yeah, the UK remaining in the single market in a customs union with free movement of people, that doesn't seem too bad from an EU But that means there's no incentive for the EU to make any compromises at all. There isn't if we take no deal off the table. But that's but even, 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 with with no, that even with the no deal, right? Because they ultimately, know, yeah. if there's a no deal, yeah. eventually the UK is going to have to come back to the table. And to be honest, negotiating right now versus negotiating with plans with planes on the ground and with food um, being stockpiled, that's a very different negotiation style. At least no deal is something that, that puts pressure on the EU as well as ourselves. Because... The whole point of the backstop is to avoid a hard border on Northern Ireland. Well, no deal delivers that. So if if we follow if we were to follow through on this, then this is something that the EU would have to take seriously. And then they may blink at the last minute and say, right, okay, let's how about this instead? But at the moment there's no incentivization for them to do so. So they are just purely looking after themselves, saying, We can do this and eventually the UK will back down. And with the fact you've got MPs in Parliament eroding the no deal option via the back door effectively with various legislation, they must be sitting back thinking, we're comfy here, this is easy. Just looking at the latest numbers, um, Pound's actually having quite a good day. Um, It's up against uh, the euro and the FTSE's more than 100 points up as well. Why is that? Um, The Pound's up because that what we've just been talking about no deal has been eroded for the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. we've known that mps are against no deal in parliament but there has been a massive step forward this is one area where we have seen huge progress and um, 
MPs aren't just against No Deal. MPs are making steps to make it not possible. And No Deal is your downside risk for the pound because, as I said, all the other options are pro-EU. They're options which the EU very much favour. They're also options which the economy and business favours as well. So any steps where you're chipping away at the prospect of a No Deal, the pound is going to react favourably to that. Even The pound doesn't care about chaos. The pound doesn't care about political... Uh, brinkmanship, the pound doesn't care about uns well, it cares, cares about uncertainty, but the removal of no deal removes some uncertainty. And the FTSE side of it is just a general markets move. We have seen a post-Christmas mm. bounce in the markets, and you are seeing when the pound rallies, the FTSE underperforming its peers, purely because the vast majority of income for FTSE 100 companies comes from outside the UK, mm-hmm. and a rising pound offsets some of that. But that's why we're seeing both of them rally but Going the back time. to the negotiations that Theresa May is going to have to have with just about everybody, in terms of this theory about customs union, whether or not she could introduce that into play, uh, the right wing of the Conservative Party isn't going to go for that. That could break up the Conservative Party. It might get it through Parliament. But where do you go from there? If Therein the, lies your vote of no confidence, I, I think. I do yeah. not think that the Conservatives are going to split on anything however tough the deal ultimately is for them i think that there will be a get out clause because they know that if you whoever it's it's whoever gets um left with the name if you're the conservatives that go out with another um name on the ballot paper come the next election you'll be wiped out we it's brand loyalty among voters and of course she's safe from a technical point of view because mm-hmm. she can't actually lose uh, a, a vote amongst her MPs, although yeah, you could have a situation year. where all well, the cabinet resigned. Sure. Uh, but at what point do the Brexiteers in the Conservative Party? We've got to remember this isn't just another political issue. This is something that they've campaigned for for decades. This is something they genuinely care about, and they see this as their only opportunity to get this over the line. There's plenty of people. But in what the do UK, they want to get over the line? Craig. Of the people who voted in the UK. What do they want Brexit. to get over they the line? They want to get the idealistic version of Brexit over the line, and the more we move towards the just from a face saving point of view because I mean they've you know they've got what they it's wanted. It's not face saving. This is very much what they've campaigned on for decades. This is something that they it, see as their only chance to get in. The more you see cross party work happening the softer mm. the Brexit is going to be because they want customs union, the the Norway plus option etc. The, this is the but point that's I think the, the narrative as it's changed. The, the customs union wasn't part of the conversation yeah, three I mean, years many, ago. Many of the Brexiteers that are sort of the, the holders of the true faith, as it were, would have been very happy with what we now call a soft Brexit yeah, 20 years exactly. ago. Or, it's only or, or the, even three years ago. Yeah, it's only the uh, the newer converts to the cause that have been pushing the, uh, the hard Brexit and now a no-deal altogether option. There was never in the original um, Brexit idea... A, um, a problem with being in the customs union or even the single market as an economic body, um, however misguided I think it that was, probably is. It was primarily about two things, uh, soundbitey things, sovereignty and immigration. Sure, a panic all, about federalisation of yes. the EU and yeah. panic about a perceived... Um, problem for British workers. But it has now become more political, and that, yeah. this is this is this is the issue that we now have. Is at what point do the Conservatives? The the hardline Brexiteer conservatives within Parliament choose Brexit over their own party loyalty, and at what point does that actually potentially topple the government? I because think if you well, offer Jeremy Corbyn right now, yes, we've got a softer Brexit on the table, one that you may even like. But you know what? If you but, join the Conservative backbenches, you could actually have an election. But Jacob Rees yeah, Mogg is saying he's not going to put a Marxist into number ten. But does he actually think that they would lose an election? Because because if so, then what's it's then a risk. But when it comes down to it, if you are the Brexiteer who says, well, we never tried a real Brexit, maybe <laughs> next time we'll get it um, right if I'm in power, 
to be honest, much like the socialist ideal, it is always something that is better in the future. Actually having Brexit in the flesh for many of those who are seeing this from a political point of view is not the ideal. It's something that will always be able to be put on the future manifesto. Okay, so we've got the Brexit deal that's on the table now. We're saying effectively that this is something that the Brexiteers and the party, particularly the hardline Brexiteers, will ultimately get on board with once we go through the process of eliminating every other possibility and no deal becomes even less likely. So this is their only feasible uh, Brexit on the table. But at what point, what, what needs to happen for the DUP to get on board? Because at the moment they're supporting the government, but they do not support this backstop. Uh, at what point do they get? Do they decide that they're going to throw their hat, they're, they're going to throw their, uh, their, their support away? Um, if we do move again there will never be a time when the DUP walk into a division lobby with Jeremy Corbyn there is no Brexit deal so bad that will make the DUP so we'll... work with somebody they and their voters perceive as being effectively a fellow traveller to Sinn Féin so in the event that this is the deal that we end with and all of this circus, all of this soap opera, everything unravels uh, and we are left with this exact identical deal that was destroyed in Parliament last week I think we'll get does it does the through. DUP support it? yeah how are markets looking at this at the moment, Craig? Because um, things are fairly steady. Um, what are they betting on? Yeah, it's been it's been such a weird week. I've never felt like the UK is the centre of the universe, but this week it very much has felt that way. There's been earnings season in the US that's been largely ignored in many in many cases. There's the government shutdown in the US, which has been far less reported this week than than, than anything else. And, and you're looking at I'm not even just talking about the UK. Yes, we are in our own little hub here, uh, but even when you're look watching CNBC, for example, and you're watching the US channel, they're talking a hell of a lot more about Brexit than they are about the government shutdown, which I find really, really interesting, mm. uh, particularly. Uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday time, um, the markets, the, the, like I say, the, as we said earlier, the market, uh, and as he actually, Nick actually alluded to off air, the market's been bouncing since uh, December 26th. Since Boxing Day, the market has been on a tear upwards, probably largely driven by, uh, again, as Nick alluded to, just how severe the fall was prior to that. We have to remember that the Dow and the S&P were about 20% down. One of, the, I think the Dow was just over 20%, the S&P was just shy of 20%. That's bear market territory, uh, worth stressing. Um, that was just before Christmas. The move was vastly exaggerated by the fact that everyone was went into kind of panic mode about the Federal Reserve, about trade wars, about everything. Um, and now we're seeing a nice little bounce off the back of that. So the markets are very steady, but markets being steady during tumultuous times is something that's actually been quite consistent now for the last decade. What about the government, uh, well, the partial government shutdown now? Uh, what's the view on that? There isn't much of a view on it, to be honest. Uh, I think the longer it rumbles on, then maybe the markets will start to take markets will start to sit up and pay attention more. But what we've learned from previous government shutdowns is the rhetoric's been high, but the actual market's been muted. And the we've seen this time. Yes, the Treasury suggested that, it, that for every week that the government shut down, that the estimate for the loss to GDP is about 0.13 percent. So for a couple of weeks, you can overlook that it's not too big a deal. But we're now entering our fourth week, uh, so that if my maths is correct, that's put a 0.52 percent off GDP. That's actually quite a big little drop uh, in quarterly GDP then the longer it goes on. I think there are going to be some events which um, push things um, more so than perhaps they are in reality important. So there has been a suggestion this week that uh, the President's State of the Union address might not be able to go ahead in its usual form because there won't be the kind of security staff around to actually protect him. Which <laughs> Couldn't make that up, could no, you? No, <laughs> exactly. Um, and we've also seen uh, the President uh, refusing the new Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi's 
um, flights to um, Afghanistan to uh, uh, talk to troops and uh, to work um, there again because of uh, lack of security staff and things like this there's going to be a, an accumulation of events which start to show that the US government is perhaps not doing all of the things that it can one of the things which um, struck me was um, you can't even um, in many states at the moment start a new company because the staff aren't there to actually put it in place these things are going to build up the longer this goes on I know that there is a bit of positive uh, action out there because there are hopes of a breakthrough in the US-China uh, trade talks, um, which it's been going up and down, actually, for the last two or three months. But there, there's some positivity in the air. Yeah, it really started um, last week. I know, I know there was the meeting at the G20 between Trump and Xi, um, the, the, obviously the, the, the two presidents, and they sounded like they made some positive progress, agreed to this 90-day uh, pause in new tariffs being imposed obviously the old ones are very much still in place while they try to work towards uh, a solution a comprehensive solution so that was the first step obviously but last week it's held that it seemed like there was a, an actual kind of breakthrough there was the junior ministers who met at the start of the week it was meant to be a two-day discussion it turned into a three-day discussion trump was saying on twitter how well things were going but you tend to take these things with a pinch <laughs> of salt but that was actually confirmed again by the, i think it was the chinese foreign ministry suggested very much the same uh, and now it we've had reports of i think steve mnuchin has suggested to um to the trump administration uh, and i believe there's a couple of others as well who support it actually removing tariffs uh, some tariffs at least on chinese goods that have been imposed as a way to try and make another breakthrough in these talks because if they offer concessions then china may offer further concessions and and actual breakthrough can happen but that's not going to be easy because there are a lot trump has surrounded himself with hawks um uh, and i think I, i'm not even sure if i'm pronouncing this right is it lighthouser is uh, a lighthouser is one of these um so this is uh, this isn't going to be straightforward but the fact that there's people and important people within the trump administration pushing for this that's a, that's again another breakthrough yeah i mean two factors occur to me here i mean one is that uh, even if we have tariffs being reduced, we're only getting at best to a position which is neutral to where we actually started this uh, sort of cold trade war, if you will. Um, but the other fact is that there are many in the Trump administration and certainly those who have been influential thinkers upon it um, that do suggest that this is basically that ultimately the US and China are going to come to some kind of economic blows in the future. This is them effectively trying to... Um, uh, get ahead of the curve on this that even if um, relations can be mollified between the two capitals something darker is coming this is what they believe so in many ways i don't see it in their interest to actually reduce tariffs right now is the deadline of early march still there to yeah. resolve these differences that's the 90 that's the end yeah. of the 90s and it is funny because um someone described what trump does slightly harshly i must admit as what he does is he breaks something and then celebrates the fact that he's put it back together again now that, that's slightly harsh uh in that there are there are little improvements to some of the things those like again i'll take it out to tax reforms i don't agree with all of the tax reforms but i think it's quite clear that the u.s was uncompetitive and from a, a tax environment particularly with things like business taxes and uh, etc so i think there was some need for some reform there um the the usmca deal he rebranded it because he wanted it to be known by something completely different so it wasn't uh, associated with the trash that came before it but it was actually the differences that we've seen are only marginal but they are differences and they are improvements and they are effectively updates to the trade deal so there are some slight improvements to be had here, even though it's not as great as before with the china thing yes he has broken something to put it back together but there's a reason why the eu is not 
having its say on this because there is areas like intellectual property as an example where they actually probably they they appear to very much agree with trump uh, the trump administration's view on this yeah i can imagine that they are watching carefully to see what benefits um can be gotten out of china without having to endure the ire of opposing uh, the president i must admit i disagree with some of your points in terms of the benefits of the tax cuts i think when the next administration is in and dealing with multi trillion trillion dollar debts i was very uh, careful to say i don't agree with all of them but there are, <laughs> i think there's certainly a case that they were uncompetitive especially in the mm. business in a, in a business environment now that's why so much cash was being hoarded abroad um so there are areas that's not to say that the tax cuts on the wealthy are necessarily a good thing for as a prime example mm. for driving up the deficit let's cross the atlantic uh, back to these shores uh, once again and the, the british retail consortium has said today that retailers had their worst Uh, Christmas in a decade. And what's interesting about some of these figures is that uh, it's not just uh, on the high street. Online, uh, year on year, uh, sank by 4.3%. That is the lowest rate of growth in more than eight years. Is that because of the Brexit uncertainty, do you think? I do think that's probably playing a part, but we also have to remember that there's been a consumer squeeze now for the last two years. And yeah, we are seeing some slight improvements now. But there's a very clear relationship between real real wage growth and consumer spending. It's it's very evident. All you have to do is just pull up a chart that just shows just shows the relationship between the two, and the lines basically track each other one or two months behind. And so that's why online is also being caught up in this as well. Obviously, there's other structural factors as well: deep discounting, competitiveness. Yeah, this is the thing which always interests me. Is it a case that we're just doing all of our shopping in dis- in November and January now? You know, the sort of Black, Black Friday, Friday Cyber yeah. Monday, and mm. then the January sales. I must admit, I've spent some of my Christmas cash in the January sales. <laughs> You've got Christmas cash. Does. Really? Uh, well, not anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, I do. I do think people are maybe spending their money in different ways. They're also spe- they're at different times. They're also spending it in different ways. There's, we've seen plenty again of evidence over the last couple of years that people are maybe buying less items and enjoying themselves, spending more on experiences, yeah, yeah. so maybe going out for dinner instead or going. Well, um, you can hardly blame people because there's a lot of anxiety in the air because of what's going in the economy. There are many people out there who aren't sure about their jobs. But maybe it's also just a, a, cha- a sign of the changing times and the time yeah. of the changing consumer. I can if you can now shop on online in ASOS and you can spend less money and own the same items, are you going to buy more of the same items and spend the mm-hmm. same amount of money in these stores? Or are you going to take some of that extra cash and go and do something actually eventful with it that you don't necessarily wear or own, but you actually get experiences? I mean, I think they probably see enough change of behaviour. Well, the other factor is, for many people, they've got less space to store things. Smaller houses, fewer people owning. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't need lots of equipment anymore. You just everything's on your smartphone, really. Yeah, it's true. Right before uh, we we go for another week, uh, a, a quick look ahead to next week. Of course, uh, Brexit on Monday is going to be a big factor. Anything else that uh, sticks out? I really struggle to look too far past Brexit, to be honest, right now. Uh, and again, that is because we are literally living in the thick of it and therefore spending every waking minute talking about it. There so are things- should we just get that timing right? So, yes, Monday is the uh, the new deal will be announced in motion passed in um, Parliament, but it will be the following Tuesday. That's the day to watch. The 29th. Which, exactly. That's the vote. Um, it's widely predicted that that could be a Theresa May I'm make or break to see what's going to happen in the interim. Is Theresa May going to go off to Brussels? I guess this will depend on how the talks go over the weekend with the other parties in terms of what they are telling us she needs to do. But they all seem to be united in the fact that you need to put a second referendum on the table and take no deal off. 
So I think that's going to be a red line which is just mm-hmm. going to be unable to do. So maybe this doesn't progress and she goes to Brussels to say, I can't get anything back at home. You guys need to offer yeah, a little bit absolutely. more. And I hate to come back cap in hand again, but did you see that vote? <laughs> it didn't go very well. And I know you want a second referendum as well, but we're not going down that route and I will do everything I can to make sure. I think so. I think there's going to be a lot of buses, but I just I think that the, the theatre, the circus, everything is going to be really focused around that next week. Like I say, there are things going on everywhere else. We've got the ECB, for example, on mm-hmm. Thursday. I don't think that will be particularly uh, eventful. We've got Bank of Japan uh, as well next week. We've got things like UK Jobs Report. Um, but if anything, if it's anything like the UK data we've had this week, it will be widely ignored because it's just not the most important thing right now. Um, and yeah, I think we will we do still have the US government shut down. And actually something that, again, I said earlier, has been overshadowed somewhat, which is the US earnings season. It's huge. And at a time when the economy is slowing and people are worried about the economic outlook for this year, and we've had things like Apple companies like apple mm-hmm. reporting difficulties in sales this is a massive earnings season now and um it may have gone under the radar so far but i don't expect that to last great to hear more opinions from you craig no doubt we'll hear more from you on the jazz fm business breakfast next week Absolutely. and nick you're back bright and early first Absolutely. thing on monday morning a pleasure to be here with you both enjoyed it have a good week you too From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.